Hey, seasoned athletes, I'm Robin Leggett, and this is episode 65 of the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. Seasoned Athlete is your home for inspiring stories and motivational advice from competitive athletes representing a wide variety of sports who all share one common bond. They are all over 40 years old. We are here to prove one story at a time that age does not have to prevent you from achieving your bold athletic and fitness goals. If you like what you hear, I would love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you really love us, you can support our ability to continue to bring inspirational stories to you by way of either a one-time donation or by becoming a monthly sponsor. Just go to seasonedathlete.me and click on one of the support seasoned athlete buttons to help support this DIY independent podcast. A few months ago, a Wall Street Journal article started to circulate around my Facebook feed. It was called The New Rules of Middle Age, written by women. It told the stories of a number of women in their 50s who, as the title suggests, reinvented their lives in different ways. Apparently, the story touched a nerve and went viral. And of course, that doesn't surprise me at all as I continue to find stories like the ones highlighted in the article all the time when I look for people to talk to for the show. Regardless... I love that a platform as big as the Wall Street Journal turned the spotlight on to women in their 50s and older finding ways to reinvent themselves. One story that stood out to me in this article was about a woman named Lynn Salvo. Lynn has earned two Guinness World Records cycling across the United States and Canada and is currently working on cycling the shape of a giant peace sign across North America. And she has been doing all of this in her 60s. If you've ever felt like your life is stuck the way it is and that you don't have room to do extraordinary things in your later years, you absolutely have to listen to this story. This is Guinness World Record holder, cyclist, and crusader for peace, Lynn Salvo. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Robin. Are you ready to drop some seasoned athlete knowledge on our listeners today? I hope I have something good to offer. Oh, I really think you do. You are Lynn Salvo, a cyclist who has made multiple cross-country rides and a ride across Canada, which has earned you two, that's two, Guinness World Records in the process. You are now on a cycling mission to promote peace by riding the shape of a peace sign across North America. And all of what I just mentioned has taken place since you have been in your 60s. So clearly, this is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to what we're going to get into today. From here, I'm going to ask the big question that I ask all my guests, and that is, what is your age at this moment in time? Today, I am two days short of age 70. Two days short of age 70. So by the time this interview airs, you will actually have turned 70. That's right. So I'm just going to go ahead and wish you a happy birthday. Thank you. Awesome. Well, you have done a lot in your 60s. You've made the most of this decade. But I want to go back in time a little bit. I want to start from the beginning. Um, And this might be a loaded question for you. You actually sent me some pretty extensive information about your athletic history. But um, I, I want to know, what did your early athletic life look like? Did you play sports growing up as a kid or as a teenager or in um, kind of your early adulthood? Yes. In high school, I played uh, lacrosse and basketball. Um, I participated fully in PE. I think PE is what got me started on everything. So I support every PE program. It Even if you don't use it for a really, really long time, it's still a base and it gets you, get your mind there. Yeah. You know, I was one of those people who didn't use it for a very long time or tried to 
tried to write it off as much as possible. It took me a little longer to get that figured out for myself, but it sounds like it, it was a little earlier for you. Yeah, I, I was happy to do sports. I think, I think I didn't start really until high school organized sports and I did some in college, but I kind of wasn't the caliber of the folks who did the, you know, basketball and in sports. So I just dabbled at stuff. I did a little synchronized swimming, but I did get started on running in college uh, because a classmate had run the Boston Marathon and had placed very high. And I thought, wow, that sounds like a really interesting goal. Right. <laughs> yeah. How do you do that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about uh, pursuing that goal. So um, I just got out on the track. I probably didn't have proper shoes, but there was a track at college and I just ran around it. And gradually I worked myself up to eight miles. But then I went to Appalachia during spring break and I was planning to continue my training there, but I didn't feel comfortable. So I just stopped. So my goal just laid there for a really long time. And when did you pick it up again? What caused you to pick it up again, I should say? I was about to turn 50. (laughs) And I was determined that turning 50 wasn't going to be the end of my life. I had gone to a store and tried on a sweater in size small that had always fit me. And there were gaps between the buttons. I said, no, this isn't okay. (laughs) And there was something else. So there was internal, there were internal reasons uh, like those, but also um, it was the year of the millennium change. So I had this external thing. It's going to be 2000 and I'm going to be 50 and this, I got to, I got to do something here first about this belly and then. Um, And then I did all sorts of things that particular year. I started a business and I started a Ph.D. program and I definitely needed to balance those two because they were very much sedentary. So it was also the balance that got me off the couch, so to speak. Yeah, it's so interesting that, you know, your 50th birthday came with the turn of the millennium and it it really caused you to do a lot of soul searching, it looks like. Yes. In a lot of areas of your life. Yes. (laughs) And picking up up pieces that had been dropped. So that was when I said, you know, I always wanted to run a marathon, so I better do it sooner rather than later. Right. (laughs) I've reached 50. You know, if I'm not going to do it now, when am I going to do it? Right. And then the Ph.D., I had made a promise to a friend in high school that I would get my Ph.D. before my MRS, which I didn't do. But I still wanted to do the Ph.D. And then I started the business and I kind of wanted to have a credential for the business. So that's when I started that. So it was a lot, a lot of change all at once. Huge change all at once. And so there's and that's a pretty big gap between when you first started considering the Boston Marathon as a goal and when you took it back up again. Are we looking at like a 30 year gap, something like that? Um, pretty much, pretty yeah. much. So uh, that's a was... huge amount of time to <laughs> not be really pursuing anything and then being like, I'm going to go for it now. Yeah. I, it was the time when I had my children and was raising them and I, I was a part time stay at home mom, but I kind of always wanted to work and I was working on a master's degree and I, I just, I can't sit still too long mentally or physically. So um, I'm getting that about you. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, yeah, even though I wasn't participating in anything, I probably actually saved myself because I know lots of people who are in their 30s and 40s and they're really, really competitive and they wear out their bodies. Mm -hmm. So that didn't happen to me. And knock on wood, but my body is still in is still working. Yeah. You know, you're not the first person who's been on the show who has mentioned that. I I spoke to a woman who was a, um, a running like a 5K record holder in her 80s. And she started later, too. And she said, you know, I wasn't beating my body up my whole life. So now I can run at a pretty high level at this age, whereas people who had been doing it their whole lives can't necessarily do that anymore. So there is a benefit when people think they're too old to start. There's actually a great benefit to starting later because you haven't been wearing your body down in that way for decades, you know, so that seems to be what has worked for you. That definitely worked for me. <laughs> yeah. So not by design, <laughs> not by design. It's just, right. just, you know, you, you, something pinged in your brain around 1999. That's right. <laughs> when, when you were 49 and you're like, <laughs> something's got to change. Yeah. So you got back into running and you got that, that Boston marathon bug again. Um, tell me about pursuing that. So the, so it was around Halloween, uh, of 1999, it was dark out. I snuck out of the house and I guess I had tennis shoes on of some sort. <laughs> and I ran up to the street corner. Um, our street has a very steep hill on it. <laughs> well, and the, our actual cul-de-sac doesn't, but as soon as I turn left, there's a pretty big hill. I didn't know hills were supposed to be hard yet, but I got to that top of the, to the top of that hill and I was gasping for breath and panting and I was thirsty. I said, I don't know how this is going to work. Right. <laughs> Who does this? <laughs> but I didn't stop. Um, and, and gradually I just added a little teeny bit each day and pretty soon I was doing a mile. And then in about six weeks, I was up to five miles. And then and you're <laughs> looking back at that time and knowing what you've done now. And you look back at that time when that was just such a massive feat. Like, I cannot believe I just ran five miles. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but right after that, I got uh, a stress fracture. So I kind of had to heal that and start all over a little bit, a little bit more sanely. <laughs> With a little more of a strategy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so uh, did you end up uh, eventually achieving your goal? I did. I did. April 28th, 2002, uh, I ran the New Jersey Shore Marathon. I had trained. I had a, a coach who pushed us, pushed us pretty hard. Um, but he said the most you have to do before your first marathon is 20 miles. So that extra 6.2, I had no idea what that was going to be like. But we did. I did a 20 mile run with a running buddy and I finished it in three hours. And my my qualifying time was four. He said, you're going to make it. So I said, well, that's, uh, I hope, I hope that's true. So the actual marathon, the circumstances were actually pretty terrible. It was about 50 degrees, it was pouring rain, had 18 miles of headwind. And, um, I couldn't find my family. They were supposed to be on the route, but they didn't want to be out there in the rain. And then, um, I remember coming to the finish or to it finished on a track and I remember seeing a water stop and thinking, no, I'm not going to stop here. <laughs> and then I, I reached the track. I got on the track. It wasn't even a full lap of the track. It was maybe a third of a lap. And I just floored it. 
because I saw the time, I saw the clock and I saw it was less than four hours. I said, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and I just poured it on and I finished with 3.6 seconds to spare and qualified for Boston on my first marathon. Nice. <laughs> I remember sitting in the tent afterwards and just like, I kind of in la la land, like I partly disbelief and just this incredible feeling. Oh my God, I did it. <laughs> How amazing. Uh, now, did you run Boston? I did run Boston. They, uh, it was a year later. Um, by then, I was starting to get running injuries. So my Boston time was 45 minutes longer than my qualifying time. It didn't matter. I was running Boston. Right? Just, just to be there. Just to be there. Just to finish. That's all I needed to do. Um, and and then I ticked that box. And I haven't run a marathon since. I've done a few you know, 10 K's and stuff, but, but no more marathons, no more marathons. So let's talk about how you transitioned from running to cycling, which is what you're doing now. Why did you decide to make that change in your life? I was having all those running injuries and my coaches said, well, we, you know, we really think you should cross train. So I dug out a bike that a friend of mine had given my daughter for when she was in college. My daughter wasn't using it anymore. She was in New York City. So it was like a $400 bike and I got on it and I used it for my first triathlon. And then I, for some reason, I started doing pretty well. I guess a lot of people weren't competing anymore at my age. Um, so I was often making the podium and occasionally winning. So I thought, okay, maybe if I got myself a better bike, I could do even better. So I think it was 2004, I got a Trek Madone, which was the bike that Lance Armstrong was using then and you know had a big reputation. And I used that bike for 13 years. That was a good trusty bike. I mean, yeah, if it lasts <laughs> that long, that's yeah. a good bike. Yeah. Um, so I rode, I, I did my first cross country ride on that bicycle. And how did you end up deciding to do a cross country ride? That's pretty significant, I would say, compared to even, a, you know, you're, you were one and done or two and done with marathons. And That's now right. you're talking about riding across the country. Like what led you to decide to do that? Uh, there were a couple of things. Um, I did a century ride. I think it was around 2007. It was after I finished my PhD and I had some more time. And I just heard about this thing called a century. And I thought, I wonder what that's like. And I remember training for that. And I remember getting up to 70 miles and then 80 miles and thinking, wow, this is really huge. And and then I did it. And it was actually, it was really kind of easy because there were so many stops. You know, there were food stops and, oh, I don't know. It just was, it, it, it wasn't a fast pace and it didn't matter and I wasn't racing. And so, so on that ride, um, I happened to connect with, I, I did it with a friend who was doing her first century and she connected us with actually two guys and they, I think one or both of them had ridden across the country on a bicycle and they talked about it while we were cycling. Cause of course we were really slow and they were really strong so they could talk a lot (laughs) they weren't huffing and puffing no and and we kept I kept on saying please you know go on ahead you're much stronger than we are you know don't worry said no we're gonna stick with you so but and then you learned about cross-country riding that's right and then another thing had happened that was way deep in my subconscious and that was when my son 
was little. He was very active. He still is very active. And um, I had a folder of activities that I thought he might be interested in. And I had clipped one of a high school boy, a high school age boy who had ridden his bicycle across the country, put it in my son's folder, not thinking that it was planting seed for me. Right. (laughs) But I'm sure it was part of it. Yeah. So somehow that connected with you and, and triggered something for you to have a desire to do this. Right. So when did you embark on your first cross country ride? So the very first cross country ride was 2015. Okay. So not very so long just ago. Not very long ago at all. And when you did that ride, um, was that the time that you started thinking, hey, this could be a world record? Yes. Actually, before I started it, I was thinking if I knew anyone older than me who had done it, who had ridden cross country, and I knew friends, I had friends younger, a little bit younger who had done it, but I couldn't think of anybody older. So I started probing and asking. And then I got on the Guinness World Records site and says, well, if you don't find a record, then you can apply to set one. So while I was on that ride, I remember being in an RV in Texas in a very deserted spot and getting an email from Guinness World Records saying, well, if you'd like to do it next year, you could set a record. And I just remember just laughing. So basically because you were already doing it, you couldn't technically apply? Is it was well, it, right. You can't do it retroactively. You actually have to apply and they have to prove it ahead of time. Right. Um, but in addition, they had a record or they said they had a record for 66 year old. Yes, 66 year old. And that was my age. So I had to be older in order to beat that record. So that's why they said if you do it next year, which at the time was really absurd. But it, that also planted a bug and a seed in my mind because by the end of the year, I had had such a great time on that ride that I decided to go for it. And yeah, yeah. so I asked them about the record and it turns out that the, the record was 66 on a relay team. She didn't do it solo. So it didn't even matter. It didn't even matter. Remotely comparable. So I pointed that out to Guinness and they said, oh, well, then the record age to beat is 52. So you're like, well, shoot. <laughs> if only I'd contacted you ahead of time. Yeah. But it means you got to do it again. That's right. So you did it again. And tell me about earning your first world record. Uh, what happened and what that was like? Well, I, um, I remember, um, first of all, I wanted to ride the same route that the 52-year-old had ridden. So I rode the Race Across America route, which is a pretty rigorous route. Which is why it was done as a relay for her, right? Um, probably, possibly, yeah. And I, it went through deserts. I remember sand dunes and very high temperatures. Um I remember um, going through mountains in Colorado on the second time, uh, on the, the the one where I was actually trying to set a record. But I remember being at the start and being in a total panic. And there were all these requirements that Guinness has. You have to do video and you have to get witnesses. And I found, I called the local police department in Oceanside, California, and I asked if the policemen would please come and be witnesses. And they did. And then one of them gave me a challenge coin which I didn't didn't know what they were, but it was a really big deal for policemen. Um, so he gave it to me and I carried it all the way across the country and let him know that I'd finished. That's so amazing. That's really, that's such a cool story. How long did it take you 
to ride across the country? It took 59 days. It was 3,163 miles. And I finished about uh, 200 feet from where I'm sitting right now. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's so cool. Uh, So... Most people would be pretty content with their one world record and just go about living their lives like, I've got a world record. Yay. But, it, you know, you're different. <laughs> so uh, you had to go after another one. Can you tell me about Canada? Yes. So when I uh, I finally found out about that record, it was around November. It was around Thanksgiving. And at the end of the year, I think it was re- literally December 31st. I said, okay, I want to try Canada next because <laughs> it's a little bit bigger and a little bit more. The mountains actually weren't as high in Canada, um, but uh, it was definitely a thousand miles longer. Canada's a really big country. Right. Um, so I applied for that and it took Guinness 11 months to let me know. But I found out on the exact um one year anniversary of finishing my first ride, almost at the exact hour. It was really, really freaky. It's like fate was telling you this has to happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's all, everything seems to be a little bit of fate and kismet and things lurking in your subconscious, you know, yeah. that are making these things happen. It's all bigger than you, it seems like. <laughs> so, so you got the approval and then um, when did that happen and how long did that one take? So that was actually last summer. Um, and I finished that one on August 26th of 2018. That was 4,111 miles, went through eight provinces. I, that one was the first ride where I really fully embraced a theme of peace as um, something I wanted to promote. And I visited a peace monument in each province in Canada all the way across. And that's a, that's an interesting topic, and it leads into kind of what you're doing now. But what led you to embrace peace as your sort of mission? Well, the story is personal. Um, in 1970, when I was in those formative college years, um, my brother was in the Air Force, and he was shot down in Vietnam and was technically missing in action, later declared dead, but never found. Hmm. Um, and his wife was expecting so he had a son who he never met. His son never met his father. And I always thought that was a terrible loss, a terrible. I, I mean, the kid came out to be a great human being, but he didn't get to be raised by his own daddy. And um, that always was sad for me. And if I, I felt like if I could prevent the, that from happening to one family, I'd be satisfied. Yeah. And then uh, you mentioned in the information you sent me that you you saw a quote about about peace, uh, money spent in peace and money spent in war um, oh, yeah. that stood out to you. That's uh, really important. Yes. Yeah. I was uh, I, I was on a trip in uh, 19, in 2017. 1970, listen to I me. mean, the years <laughs> start to blur after a while, right? In 2017 with some friends from Kansas who I met, who I had met on the 2015 ride. And we were in the United Nations and there's this gigantic wall with a huge yellow circle on it that represents that what the world spends on war and defense and then three little teeny tiny microscopic circles that represented what we spend on peace one of the three was the budget of the united nations hmm. and i thought well we're getting what we're paying for right right and uh 
you know, what and how could the world be different if we flipped that? I thought education, health, um, poverty, um, hunger, we could solve climate, we could solve, we could truly solve every problem on earth if we flipped that. Yeah, yeah. And did that that play a role in, in your what you're doing now? Definitely. And I carry that picture with me everywhere I go now. Yeah. Constant reminder. Yep. So tell me about w- what it takes to ride the shape of a peace sign in <laughs> North America. I, I saw a little map um, on, on a blog that was written, but I, I, can you tell me basically what that entails? Well, what happened was I'd done the, the two uh, rides, the two cross country rides. And then I looked at the pieces and I thought, well, I have a great friend in Wichita that could be the hub. And then I just kind of, I, and then I was going to do Canada. So that was going to be the top of the peace sign. So then I just looked at what needed to be filled in in order to make a peace sign. And then I just made rides that fit those places. And then it turned out that one of them was from Wichita, Wichita to Biloxi, Mississippi. And it went through all kinds of civil rights places, which was unbelievable. I was a terrible history student, but being in the places, being in the place where Emmett Till would have harassed the white owner of the grocery store and being in the courtroom where his murderers were tried, it was unbelievable to me. Um, So it was, those are two real highlights, but there were many, many, many of them. And then, um, then not even uh, a month later, I cycled uh, what I hadn't done on the East Coast, and I cycled the Underground Railroad with a friend. So again, really historic, amazing sites, and it was a way for me to to understand in a his- history in a way I could get it, like physically being there and feeling the place where things happened. Yeah, that's so fascinating, and, and, and it's interesting to me. Again, speaking to the whole fate thing that keeps coming up that this this shape all you know essentially you're riding a shape across yes. north america and yet it is taking you directly through some of some of the locations of the most pivotal times in our nation's history when it comes to civil rights um and human rights and 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 some of the some of the darker times in our history and yes. having you just be exposed to it directly makes it more powerful for you and I'm getting total goosebumps just thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. So there was another, there was another thing that happened too. Um, to do the north spoke of the peace sign, it was going to be from Wichita to Winnipeg. But as I was studying the route, I discovered I was looking at the places where you can cross the border into Canada. And one of them just slightly, maybe probably less than 100 miles to the west of where I was going to cross was the International Peace Garden, for heaven's sake. Yes, wow. about faith. Like, are you kidding me? With yes. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. This is, so, this is so cool. This is so fascinating. Um, so how much of this have you completed and how much do you have left? So the whole thing is about 14,500 miles and I've done about 12,500 already. All that's so left. So you're really close, yeah. I am. All that's left is the Pacific coast and a piece of me would like to just run out there and just get it done. 
right? What? <laughs> You're like, what am I waiting for? But what are you waiting for? Well, um, I did four major rides this year. And if I had done that, it would have been work instead of, you know, the pinnacle of finishing everything. That was one reason I had planned my brains out. So I just didn't have the energy to plan another major trip. And there's another compelling reason, two more really. One is that September 6th of 2021 is the anniversary of the Peace Arch near Vancouver. And that's where I'm going to start that ride. I'm going to ride through that Peace Arch. Oh, wow. It's the 100th anniversary. I have to start it then. You have to start it then. There's, there's no <laughs> question here. You have to start it then. Yeah. <laughs> and there was another reason to postpone it by a year, by two years, actually, from now. And that is that I'm going to try for one more record next year. And that is to try for oldest female to bicycle across Europe from Norway to Spain. And this is a really, really huge effort. It's another 500 miles longer than Canada. It's 15 countries. It's probably close to 15 languages. The logistics are crazy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 250 miles in Russia. I mean, it's, it's a a, lot of, it's a lot of passport stamps happening. Yeah. (laughs) It's a really big planning deal. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not just getting on your bike and going and no, no, (laughs) I can't drive to the start. Like I've done a lot of times. Sure. Yeah. I suppose you can't. So, so that's amazing because two world records are not enough. Obviously you got to go for three. You're living your best life right now, by the way, you're living like, this is what retirement should be for everybody. I recommend <laughs> we, all sh- we all should aspire to this. This is so cool. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, how you're able to do this. You know, you're, you're, you're almost 70. You're doing some major, major efforts um, you're earning world records left and right. Get us world records just all over the place here. Uh, you're doing significant rides. Um, so what do you think are the greatest challenges you face as someone at your age who's do- who, who is doing these major events? Um, what kind of challenges are you, fa- are you facing as an older athlete? Um, I know that you're asking me about challenges, but I'd rather talk about Things that work. Well, I, that's my second question. I always follow that up with the things that work, but I'm wondering if, okay. if yeah, so don't worry. I will ask you that. Okay. So I do have a couple of challenges. I've had um, rotator cuff surgeries on both shoulders and my shoulders get a little, a little bit uncomfortable from time to time. Nothing serious so far. And it seems to be okay. Um, on the bike. It's not a problem on the bike. Although I do use several hand positions on the bike and I use my aero bars to get some pressure off of my shoulders. So those are, that's one thing. Yeah. So you Um, have some good workarounds there. Yeah. I have a little bit of an Achilles tendon issue in my right heel, but it doesn't occur on the bike. It occurs when I'm off the bike. So I think that's going to be okay. I've had both cataract surgeries, which that's where I want to get into where there's something that went right, because with the cataract surgery, I don't have to wear glasses anymore. And the the surgeon fixed one eye so that I can see distance in the other for close. The close-up one doesn't work so great, but the distance one is fantastic. Um, 
And it's great for the bike because I can see the water tower and the grain elevator 10 to 12 miles away. My friend who I was cycling with said, what elevator, what water tower? (laughs) So, you know, that's, it's, that's fascinating to me because, you know, when people think about getting older, it's like, and then cataract surgery is a thing that happens to many people when they reach a certain age. But you don't think about it in terms of this is going to make me an amazing cyclist because I can see so far away and I can see so much clearer and don't have to wear glasses. Like most people are just trying to live their life, but you're, you're looking at it a completely different way. So let's talk some more about advantages, benefits that you face as an athlete that either you're, you're doing this as an older athlete, you started this as an older athlete. So what, what kind of advantages or benefits do you think you have um, that maybe someone who's a little younger may not have? Well, in terms of setting the records, I'm setting age records and not speed records. Right. So I can take as long as I want. I can That's stop and things. I can take <laughs> pictures. I can take breaks and go visit parks. I'm allowed to get off the bike and drive someplace as long as I come back and start again where I left off. So it's just actually it's a fantastic way to travel. Right. Um, this is. Yeah. An, yeah. You're seeing you're seeing the country and you're seeing the world in a way that so many people are not. And I, it makes it more powerful, more interesting and and more healthy. You're getting your workouts in on your vacation. You got it. And <laughs> seeing the world from a bike is really, really, really different. For example, I stop on practically every bridge right smack in the middle. You could never do that with a car. Right. So I get. <laughs> Tons of pictures of bridges when I was in um, Oklahoma. Um, no, sorry, when I was in um, Nebraska, they had had huge flooding there, and I would go to the bridges. Some of them had freshly been rebuilt, and I'd go over to the side and look down and see these monster trees leaning against the brand new bridge. And but I could see all that kind of thing, and I can stop places where just cars just wouldn't dare stop. And plus, I get this intimate connection with people on this last trip. Um, This last trip that I did, uh, I finished August 31st uh, with my friend Brenda. It was just the two of us, two women in their late 60s going self-supported. I didn't have a SAG vehicle. This was crazy nutso, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And our very first, Brenda had done all the research because I was busy, busy riding the Underground Railroad. So she researched every bike shop from the beginning to the end of our ride. And our very first bike shop was 525 miles from the start. If anything went wrong, we were in trouble, shall I say. Yes, yes. <laughs> and and just things went fine. People kept giving us gifts. This one guy a hotel owner actually drove 30 miles to bring us sandwiches just because this guy gave us a melon. Um, just It was just one thing after another of kindnesses, one thing after another. Um, also, at the 525 mile mark, when we were in the bike shop, the owner of the bike shop, uh, well, the guy, the son of the owner, he refused to be paid. He said, I want to support your adventure. And while he was working on my bike, he heard this sound. He said, that's coming from your bike. What is it? I said, I have no idea. My bike doesn't make that noise. He says, yes, yes, well, it's a flat. You're having a flat right here in the bike shop. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That was our first flat and our only flat of the entire trip. How amazing. You know, there's got to be. 
something there's something endearing to seeing you know two 60 something women riding their bikes you know on their own self-supported that that you know if i were to see you guys i would want to support you guys like who wouldn't want to <laughs> show support and and give to you guys because it's it's just you don't see that every day and it's inspiring <laughs> it's truly inspiring and every everybody's inspired by that so i'd love that people came together to really lift you guys up and help support you on this adventure. Yeah, it was, it was truly amazing. I, I mean, I've done those self-supported rides and I have met people on them because with the record setting rides, I had to get witnesses, which is another whole story. But the way this one was, you know, we were theoretically pretty vulnerable, but it just didn't play out that way. Yeah. People and, wouldn't let you, people wouldn't let you be vulnerable. No. Yeah. And I remember going to let you fail between <laughs> the first bike shop and the second bike shop exactly smack in the middle between the two. My friend Brenda's uh, bracket that held up her rack that held her panniers broke and her panniers are sitting on the ground. Well, she had brought zip ties and we zip tied it all back together. Then we stopped in a grain elevator and went up to uh, a worker there and asked if he could reinforce it. And he found some heavy wire and he fixed it up for her. And everything was fine. <laughs> you know, maybe that's another benefit to being an older athlete is just a general sense of resourcefulness. You know, that, that like problem solving skills that you yep. have gained in your life. I think that's definitely true. And and the uh, the confidence that you're going to be able to do it. Um, another thing that we did a lot was we would wave to truck drivers. Both of us had rear view mirrors, but we made a point of either asking the truck drivers, you know, giving them the honk signal. And a lot of them did. And I, that was really important because we were to those truck drivers. We were no longer a bike. We were a person mm -hmm. on a bike. And I figured Every truck driver who a cyclist is friendly to and also, um, what's another, and um, polite to, like we wouldn't get in the way of trucks. We made a mm -hmm. point of doing our best to get out of the way of trucks to make their job easier. So it was mutual. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, I love that. Because you become, you might, if you hadn't done that, you might have been an annoyance to them. That's but right. Then, but then it was actually something they could get behind and, and support. Right. So even if that truck driver would never, ever see us again, he or she might have just a little slight change in their brain about cyclists yeah. in general. And that's that's yeah. worth you br it. You brighten their day just for a moment. And, right. and that's so, important when you're on the road for hours and hours. Yeah. And I did want to mention another ride that I had done. It was only a three day ride. It was also self-supported. It was on the East Coast. So there were plenty of services. Um but my friend Jen and I, um, on the third day of the ride, it was supposed to be easy day, like a 50-mile day, easy, flat, no issues. So we were in this wonderful bed and breakfast, and we didn't, it, we just didn't want to leave. It was so pleasant. And finally, we got going, I don't know, maybe 10, 30, 10 or 10.30. And um, first thing happens, we make a wrong turn. And my garment's squawking at me, and we have to double back, and it's not an easy uh, double back because we were on a one-way bridge so we had to double all the way back through town so then we get through that and we see a detour sign and usually on a bicycle a car a bike can get through a detour you know there'll be a little bit of a lane this was a bridge entirely out they were rebuilding it 
it caused a detour. It caused eight extra miles on that ride. And then on the detour, I had a flat. <laughs> in addition, it was in a kind of relatively unpopulated area, and we were running a little bit low on water. So um, there was a, a rare car came through, and I kind of waved them down. Not, I just waved them just to make sure they saw us because it was fairly remote. But they stopped anyway, and we asked if they knew where the next place was to get water. And the gal just reached down in her car and pulled out a bottle of water for each of us. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. It pays to be friendly with people on the road, moral of the story, especially yeah. when things are going awry. So um, what advice would you give to someone who may be around your age or around the age you were when you started doing all this, who may be, I don't know, like inspired by your story and entertaining the idea of doing something like this, maybe whether it's at the scale you're doing or a little bit smaller, what advice would you have for somebody? Um, in general or specifically about the bike? I'd say in general, whether it's biking, it's running, it's just, you know, you decided just a handful of years ago that you were going to take these, you're going to embark on these major, major endeavors. Um, and so people who might be listening either are thinking like, well, that's great for her, but it's not great for me or I'm never going to do that. Or, huh, that's cool. That's a cool thing to do. But like, how do you get started? Or, how, you know, so just in general, you know, you started with an idea in when you turned 50 that you were going to run the Boston Marathon. Even that for some people might be a lot. <laughs> so uh, what advice would you have to kind of maybe trigger that kind of thinking that you have had? Well, one thing ties very much in with your last podcast, and that is um, I believe you can do so much more and for so much longer than you think you can. It's like, when you're talking when you're talking about my last podcast, you're talking about the Kevin Hopp who ran so no, marathons. The, 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 you're not, oh, the one I talked about. The, yeah. OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. based on when this airs, people may not know that this was the last podcast, but the podcast oh. where I talked about making bold goals for yourself. Yeah, that one. Yeah. OK, so go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So that was one. Also, be sure if you pick something, be sure it's something that you really enjoy. Like I tried track as a senior in my, at, at age 65, I started getting injuries. I had to practice the starts. It was annoying on the bike. I don't know. One of the things bike specific is I have a very good bike and I made sure I got a bike fit. So it's very, very comfortable. You don't want to be uh, in a bad place on the bike. You, you got to be very comfortable. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean a big, giant, squishy seat. You can be very comfortable on a, on a hard seat if it's the right one for you. Um, I've started on my own each time, both with running and with cycling. And then when I got to a certain point, then I got coaches or, well, not so much for cycling. For running, I definitely had a coach like a couple of times a week coach with a group. But with cycling, I just had a wonderful bike mechanic who just told me what to do. <laughs> On a way, that's a coach. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, he definitely was. Was a, yeah. Told me how to cycle downhills, which I didn't know about. Right. Um, um, drop the whole competition thing. Yeah. Just just enjoy it. Just yeah. I, I was I'd been there. I've done it. I've done the racing. I've tried to win. I've tried to be on the podium. I've done it a few times. But when I dropped that, everything just became so much more fun. Yeah. There's a couple of things I got out of what you just said that I think are, are really important. And number one is that 
you know, when you try something, it doesn't that doesn't have to be your thing. Like you tried, you got into running for a little bit and then you decided that wasn't your thing anymore. You were doing competitions and you decided that wasn't your thing anymore, but you found something else. You found, you you experimented with some different things until you landed on the thing that really, really resonated with you. Um, And then the second thing is the importance of proper gear. Uh, If you're really getting into something, uh, when you talk about your bike fit, you know, that's important, but it really applies to any sport. If you're going to get serious about running, you should have good shoes. Mm -hmm. You should have the, you know, clothing that you feel comfortable in and just, you know, I think when we all start and even you mentioned several times when you first started running, you put on what you thought were tennis shoes or maybe were tennis shoes (laughs) (laughs) went out the door. You don't quite remember what was on your feet when you first started riding. It was your daughter's bike. Right. Right. Um, So it's like we all start with that. You know, I'm going to do a race. I'm going to throw on these old shoes that I don't care about. And, uh, you know, I'm going to start running these old shoes and then and then your feet hurt and you wonder why. And so eventually, (laughs) if you're going to get serious, you need to invest in proper gear uh and that it does make a difference it's not going to change who you are as an athlete but it will it could make things just a little bit easier for you so uh make things go a little bit smoother so those are kind of the two big things that you know and your life has been a life of multiple transitions you've had a lot of different transitions in your life and that has served you very very well even now it's like you you know your retirement transition has been this this grand cycling adventure (laughs) that continues um and it just it's it it serves as as an inspiration that a we don't have to be playing sports our whole life you took a 30-year break (laughs) from pretty much any athletic endeavor and now look at what you're doing and so there there are adventures that await us um in in our later years and it if you're doing something now it could be what you're doing now or it could be something completely different and if you're not doing something now who knows? Try something. <laughs> try something. But again, like you, you cited the podcast I did about being open to bold goal, goals and opening your mind. That's exactly what you did. You opened your mind to bold goals and grand adventures. And that's exactly what you're doing. And it's been a blast. Yeah, it looks like <laughs> it, it, it's so cool. And then you have a blog where you kind of you record all this stuff, right? I love the blog. The blog makes it. it all so much more worthwhile. I started on the very first day of the very first transcontinental ride. I'd heard about blogs and I knew people did them. And I um so every single you know long ride that I've done I've blogged and it's life is like a bike dot wordpress dot com. All one word, life is like a bike. That comes from Einstein. It's a mistranslation, a misquote. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and um, I don't, I'm, I'm not the one who blogs about what I ate for breakfast and where I went to the bathroom. And I, I'm, I get into my head uh, and I just, I don't use earbuds. I just listen. I'm just completely open out there on the road to whatever comes, whatever emerges in my mind. And being almost 70, I got lots of stuff in my mind that can spill back out, you know? Uh So, um, I try to find analogies between the cycling and life. So sometimes my blogs are, are a little bit more mundane, but I really try to make them kind of thematic. And, and while I was on underground railroad and, on civil rights sites, there was plenty to write about. And um, so, yeah, blogging, it, 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 I wouldn't, I don't think I would even try to cycle without blogging on a long trip. It's a great way to document your journey. 
Mm-hmm. And and especially, you know, the way you're seeing the world, the way you're seeing this country and the way you're seeing the world is so truly unique that it would be a shame to not document and share. Right. That. So, you know, it's good that you're doing that. Right. And it's kind of interesting. The blog um, was not required for Guinness for the Guinness World Record. They did require a log. But the log actually helps me a lot with the blog because I usually do a log at the end of the day before I write the blog that just to see, make sure I've, you know, thought of whatever it is. And I, I let the theme emerge. I just, you know, go into the day. I might have a vague idea, but then something will happen and that'll become the blog title. Like one day on the last trip, um, I really didn't have a blog title, but Oh my gosh, the headwind was so awful and was hills and headwind and just really a hard, hard ride. And we come finally about five miles outside of the town, which is our destination. And there's this shack on the side of the road where the paint is all worn off. And I, the word came into my mind, weather beaten. And that was the title of my blog. You're like the shack and myself. Yeah, <laughs> have been weather beaten. Yeah, yeah, and that's powerful. Like I, I have, I haven't even seen that entry, and I totally get what you're what you were conveying there. So, so uh, can you can you repeat the blog title one more time? Yes, life is like a bike. Dot wordpress. Dot com. Awesome, and yes. I will put that in my show notes too, Thanks. so people can check that out. And may I say one other thing that sure. um, I uh, my rides do support the American Friends Service Committee, AFSC.org. Um, if anybody is um, inspired to donate, we'd be grateful. And um, during the Canada ride, I supported the Canadian Friends Service Committee. And that's CFSC. Oh, gosh, I think it's CA.org. <laughs> I'm not sure. But. I will look that up and confirm. And I'll add that to my show notes as well. So so that if people want to make a donation in support of your ride and in support of the organizations that you are supporting, uh, they can do that very easily. So before we wrap up today, I'm going to ask you something I ask everybody. It's always a loaded question. Uh Um, But uh, do you have one parting piece of wisdom that you've learned in this journey of yours, athletic and life, that you'd like to share with our audience today? Um, I think so. Um, I, I'm, I'm actually looking at my notes and I see three or four, but I'm going to pick one. And that is um, sometimes going up a very long hill. Um, what I do is I pick little teeny landmarks, like it might be a blade of grass, might be a shadow, it might be the ne- a crack in the road, it might be the next mile marker, a pole or a piece of trash. Because if it's a little teeny goal and I can see it, I can see that I'm making progress towards it. So um, that I think that's how I went from zero to 26.2 miles on my first marathon and zero to 4,111 miles across <laughs> Canada. It's yeah. little itty bitty. Little, little pieces of trash all along the way. <laughs> Canada was really clean, by the way. So not trash in Canada. <laughs> but but yeah, it's and that's such a metaphor for athletic adventures, but just it's just life when everything seems overbearing. It's like grab a small goal on your way and all of a sudden it gets so much easier to reach that next one. When you're doing twenty six point two miles for the first time, 
it seems daunting, but you know, you get to a certain point where you're like, I could do another mile. I could do another mile. Oh, yeah, I could do another mile. And that's, that's probably how you're doing this whole thing. Thousands and thousands of miles. <laughs> I remember one time on the uh, 2015, the very first uh, transcontinental ride, uh, we had a 50 mile day and my friend said, that's just five, 10 mile rides. Yeah. <laughs> I do that all the time. I do long training runs for the races that I go on. And when I get to the point where I know I have a 10 K left or a five K left, it's like, I could do that in my sleep. I can do a 10K. No problem. I could do 5K. No problem. And this is after doing, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 miles. It's like, all right, if I got this much, that's just a 5K. I got it. So it's like when you know you reach points that you've already reached, you know, things you already know you can do. You just all you're doing is a bunch of those. So. Right. I, I also remember telling my friends, you know, when I have, say, 15 miles left in a day, I said, well, that's just from the bike shop home we do we right. do that all the time you know? do that. yeah I, I don't even warm up for that like right. that's no problem <laughs> so yeah all these little little chunks it's super super important so thank you for sharing that that piece of wisdom i think that was a really really good one so aside from the blog if, if uh, someone wants to learn more about you are there other ways people can find you or connect with you or is um, the blog the best way i am on um instagram at um lynn.salvo l-y-n-n dot s-a-l-v-o b as in victory um i'm on facebook at um uh i'm gonna have to give that to you because it's not okay. memorized but it's i think it's piece by piece um I'm guessing some of that is spelled P-E-A-C-E. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so that, um, but the blog is the main way, and I, I'm not 100% responsive on blog comments because when on the Canada ride, I did have, I, I did have to stop replying to everybody because I needed some sleep. So <laughs> fair enough. Well, but, gosh, what you're doing is so dang impressive that people just can't help but reach out to you. Well, I love it. I love the interaction of the comments on the blog and I try to reply, but I just can't always. You've got to sleep sometime. That's a, yeah. that's important. You're you're almost 70. By the time this airs, you will be 70. Sleep is very, very important if you want to do bold, amazing things that you're doing. So <laughs> Yeah, you got to value that. You got to value that sleep and recovery just as much as the effort. So good on you. Good on you for taking time for yourself. Lynn, thank you so much for being on the Season Athlete Podcast today. So I I read your story in an article in the Wall Street Journal of all places. Uh, They did a great piece about women over 50 uh, pursuing athletic endeavors. And when I read through it, I saw it reposted on my Facebook a million zillion times because that's the circles. <laughs> those are the circles I run in and your story really stood out to me. So I, I obviously had to reach out to you and I wanted to get more of it. So I super appreciate you taking the time to share that with me and with our audience. And I wish you all the best on your continued adventures and world record pursuits. You go get it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Robin. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. All right, seasoned athletes, here are my top three takeaways from Lynn Salvo. Number one, first, let's talk about reinvention, shall we? As Lynn mentioned, life is a series of transitions. Lynn didn't start seriously running until she turned 50 after a 30-year break from anything athletic. Her transition to cycling as a primary sport came even later. I know this sounds like a cliche at this point, but it really is never too late to start something new. Whether it be a sport, business, hobby, or anything else. If you feel that ping in your brain to try something new, it could pay off to be open to it. Number two, traveling by bicycle can be a truly unique way to travel. 
you can see the world in a whole different way. You can stop places where cars just can't, and you can interact with people in a deeply personal way and really make some unique connections along the way. You know, this is something that no one has shared in any of the interviews I've done. So I thought it, it just really stuck with me, and, and I think it will continue to stick with me. I may have to give it a try. And number three, no matter how big a goal you are pursuing, try focusing on tiny little milestones along the way. As Lynn said, that was the key to her making it from zero to 26 miles in her marathon training and zero to 4,111 miles in her trek across Canada. For some of us, running one mile can be as daunting as completing over 4,000 miles. So no matter what your goal is, set itty bitty mini goals along the way and you will make it. Thanks again to Lynn Salvo. Read about her many great adventures at lifeislikeabike.wordpress.com. Thank you for listening to the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. The music you heard in this episode is from someone who has very likely traveled coast to coast himself to rock your face off, Jason Achilles. Learn more about him at jasonachilles.com. Do you know someone who would make a great guest on this show? Or do you have a unique and inspirational story to share? Shoot us an email, seasonedathlete at gmail.com. Check out our entire library of episodes and learn about our distinguished seasoned athlete alumni at seasonedathlete.me. While you're there, click on the support seasoned athlete button to help us continue to share stories of ageless athletes and their remarkable journeys. Now go out there and embrace your extraordinary, my fellow seasoned athletes, because you so can.